Welcome to the Rebel Physician Podcast, where we are creating a path for physicians to break free from the toxic medical system to create an enjoyable and a sustainable career in medicine. Join us each week as we challenge the status quo, push boundaries, and seek to create a better healthcare system for all. Hello, hello. This week, I am actually going to share a replay of a workshop that I did for a small company and also for my former Life in Glitter membership members. And it's on the topic of authentic leadership. And this might sound boring and not applicable to you, but I encourage you to listen anyway, because all physicians are leaders. We are all leaders just by default. I don't care if you have a title. (laughs) I don't care if you have a fancy position or not. If you are a doctor, you are a leader. And this matters because in your leadership role, whether you are leading yourself, your, your co-workers, your patients, it is very important that you focus on leading authentically for you. And this is not something that anyone is teaching you that we have ever learned in medical school. And it's a simple concept that can have huge impact in your life professionally and personally. So please take a listen, leave any comments or feel free to message me with thoughts, takeaways, anything like that. Of course, I'm going to ask you to please share with a friend or subscribe to the podcast or leave a review or a rating. This helps me to get the word out to more and more physicians. And I know that I've mentioned this in the past and I'm going to mention it again, but my goal is to make 2023 the year of significant growth in the impact of the rebel physician movement. So I would love your help with that. If you feel so inclined, you don't have to do all of those things. Just one is plenty. And of course, if you haven't heard about my free Rebel Physician Community, you must come and join us. We just had our first community call a few days ago, and it was amazing. We talked about investing and betrayal and passive income and private practices and quitting medicine and leaving toxic jobs and so many amazing things. This community is going is growing more and more every day, and we're going to continue with these connection calls. And it's all about collaboration and connecting with other doctors. And of course, you get all of my free stuff. You get all of my courses, workshops, everything included. You're also going to get a list of that I'm compiling of basically all the resources I know about that I have vetted for you that will help you to create a life that you truly want. So whether that looks like you know, investment opportunities, passive income, how to start a private practice, whether it looks like having a life coach, any and all of those things are going to be included in this list. So be sure to join the community if you haven't already and get on our next connection call, www.rebelphysician.com. This is a webinar or workshop on authentic leadership. And how this came up actually was I had been thinking about leadership for a while and I know we've talked about it a lot in this group. And then I actually got, was contacted by a company who um, they do direct primary care uh, throughout the country. And they have this really amazing group of women physician leaders. And they asked me to talk to them about leadership. And this, this kind of came 
from that prompting and it was really well received so i thought i would share it with you guys because i think this is a really good group um of women physicians who are leaders as well so i'm going to share some statistics with you and then go over a little bit about how to be an authentic authentic leader so what does it mean? I guess the first thing is let's get on the same page with definitions. And when you think, or when we think about authentic leadership, what does that mean? And I really, really liked these two definitions. One was from the Center for Creative Leadership and the other was from Brene Brown. Um, and the Center for Creative Leadership said that authentic leadership means doing your job without compromising your values, which requires self-awareness, modesty, humility, empathy, ethics, genuineness and it's results focused. So that's a that's a pretty big um, list of things that it takes to be an authentic leader. And then Brene Brown, it, it's very similar what she says, but to be authentic means to have the courage to be imperfect and vulnerable. And for physicians, imperfection and vulnerability are not things that we are taught and, or that's not, that's not modeled for us really. So, so sometimes that can be a huge issue for us to step into a leadership role and then feel safe to be authentic. And then her definition of leadership is um, something that requires courage, brave face, and again, empathy, vulnerability, and self-care. And again, I think these things are somewhat, we have to relearn them once we become attending physicians because a lot of this stuff we have been used to not focusing on like empathy and self-care at least for most of us so i just want to share some, some statistics with you this is from forbes at the benefits of women leadership so this is if you didn't already know this is to prove why we need more women leaders and um, a few of the reasons are boards, so um, boards of companies or, or nonprofits or whatever, with at least 30% of women perform better, meaning improved ethics and financial performance than those without 30% women or more. Women leaders add a new range of skills, diversity, they, we give better oversight and monitoring ability. And Typically, these boards will invest more in innovation and are also more innovative. And in general, women are more qualified than men. And this isn't to bash men at all. The reason why this is the case is because for women to feel comfortable applying for a job or a position, they need to feel like they are 110% qualified for that position. And this is in contrast to men. And there was a study done about this. This isn't just made up. That There was a study done about um, the people who applied for leadership roles. Men thought, men felt like, as long as I have 50% of the qualifications, if I have at least 50% of them, then I'm applying for the job. Whereas women would not even apply for a position unless they had all of the qualifications plus some more. So if you compare those two candidates in general when a woman is chosen she has more qualifications because she wouldn't have applied otherwise and i think that's really really important to recognize uh, and also maybe consider applying for jobs when you're not 110 percent qualified um, and these days only 23 percent of americans even prefer a male boss most people in america prefer 
uh, female boss these days. So these are the facts. So despite the fact that we know the benefits of women leadership, women only account for 18% of hospital CEOs and 16% of deans or department chairs in the U.S. And only 7% of professors in medicine are women. I think that's really sad. Women hold only 23% of executive positions and 29% of senior management positions. And this is outside of medicine. So the the discrepancy isn't just within medicine. It's it's a really industry-wide issue among many industries. So what are the barriers? If there if there's such a difference, and if if so helpful to have women's women leaders in an organization but there's just not that many there. Why? And this is, of course, not including all of the real and valid external barriers that women face. And those are things like um, sexism, misogyny, that kind of thing, like where there are real barriers to women getting those positions. These are things that we have a little bit more control over, which are internal barriers. And those things are a lack of self-awareness and, of course, self-doubt and imposter syndrome, fear of failing, of judgment, lack of boundaries, and then lack of self-love, perfectionism. The list goes on and on. So things that from many things. So what's the solution? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. This uh, aligned expansion framework, I'm just going to skip over, but the map this evening we're going to go through, go through these five topics. And if you've seen a lot of the stuff I've talked about before, so I'm just going to hit on the new things, relate those topics back to leadership, and then we'll be done for the evening and have some time for um, comments or questions, if that it makes sense. We're going to talk about integrity, confirmation bias, breathing, play, and internal versus external validation. So the first is integrity. And integrity in the, in the way we're going to talk about it tonight is the quality of being honest and having a strong moral principles or moral uprightness. Integrity requires knowing what your core values are and having the courage to stay true to them. So the contrast I want to bring up here, because I think it's very important, is that there's a difference between having integrity with yourself compared to a mask of integrity. And why this matters is because many of us have felt like we needed to change or filter ourselves in some way in order to get through medical school or residency to be successful. Maybe we thought that that required a lot of people pleasing. It required a lack of boundaries. Um, it required giving up things that we that are really um, important to us. And what happens here is that we unconsciously have a we unconsciously put more emphasis on other people thinking where we have integrity than actually us having integrity with ourselves. And what that means is, for example, if someone asks you to join a committee and you know that your core values are balance at home and having time for self-care and um, spirituality. 
But you also have this problem with people pleasing, like so many of us. So when someone approaches you about joining this committee, you say yes, because you're hoping that they will think positively of you and because of your people pleasing. And in reality, that's out of alignment with your own integrity versus saying no to something like that and allowing the discomfort of you know letting someone down or having them think a certain way about you but you really stay in integrity with yourself so this is probably the most important point that we're going to talk about tonight and as i i really want you to kind of put an asterisk on this topic in your mind to prompt you to think about what your core values are so list your top three to five core values and compare them to how you spend your time and yourself do they align and to go deeper ask yourself why and be really honest about it and like i mentioned with everything this is a time to put self-judgment to the side and really just bring curiosity to it and this is something probably worth doing every one to like every six to twelve months reworking confirmation bias so confirmation bias you probably know is the merging of the external input to satisfy internal hypotheses or beliefs so what does that mean that means that our brains have certain beliefs about things and we filter through reality through those beliefs and this is uh, a huge problem when it comes to medical error it's actually confirmation bias is the second leading cause of diagnostic error. So this study was done in the ER and it showed that confirmation bias in this setting, meaning a physician sees abdominal pain and a female on the list, on the ER list, and his automatic assumption is an ovarian cyst, for example. Because of that confirmation bias in his head, which is usually subconscious, now the only results, he's he's filtering all the results he's seeing through that assumption that it's an ovarian cyst. And what happens is that it ends up being appendicitis, but that diagnosis is missed because of confirmation bias. So this is an, a real phenomenon that we are, if we're not paying attention to us, it's, it's happening automatically. So how we relate to leadership and authentic leadership here is that personal beliefs about you and about your ability and, and who you are and what you're capable of are forms of confirmation bias. So if you have a belief about yourself that you're not a leader, that you're not a strong leader, then you're going to filter your experiences through that belief. And you won't see opportunities that are actually right in front of you. So a journal prompt for this one, and this will be um, obviously posted, so don't feel like you have to write it down or remember, but what is holding me back most right now? What is your underlying confirmation bias about your ability to be a leader? Okay, parasympathetic initiation. This is really just a fancy, a fancy way of saying breathe. And I really think this is useful because when it comes to leadership, it usually requires a lot of, you're putting yourself out there. And what can happen is instead of focusing on, 
who we're serving, we get caught up in our own minds. So what can happen is we get into the self-doubt cycle. So meaning you have a meeting or a presentation or difficult conversation, something like that comes up and it didn't go perfectly. And if you get into the self-doubt cycle, you start ruminating about your performance, which creates more self-doubt and ultimately leads to no improvement at all and some really bad feelings. If you can use breathing to be on your side, then what that's going to do is it activates the vagus nerve. And over time, in the moment and over time, it's going to increase the balance of the parasympathetic nervous system. So specifically the type of breathing. So instead of 12 to 16 breaths per minute, you're going to breathe eight breaths per minute. So I really love to tell people to do this. And we always say, oh yeah, take a deep breath before you're anxious. But when you're in the self-doubt spiral, if you can activate your vagus nerve by doing deep, slow breathing for a minute or two, then what you're going to do is you're going to increase the parasympathetic nervous system, which is going to then decrease the fight or flight response and get you out of the self-doubt spiral and into this new place, which is a place of curiosity and self-love, which from that place, you can really appropriately consider whatever the event was and then focus on how to improve its time. And the other benefit of this is you'll also be able to recognize what you did well, which is also very important when it comes to uh, improving for the future. Okay, so um, this is obvious, but to just, to just practice your deep, slow breathing before any intimidating event. All right, this one's obvious. You, Everyone who is in my space knows that I love play and why it's exercise for the right hemisphere of the brain. So if you have not still not watched this YouTube video, um, this TED Talk on YouTube yeah, or TED.com, um, Jill Bolte-Taylor has the most the most watched TED talk of all time. And she talks about her, um, what happened when she had a stroke and she is essentially her book and her talk and speaking to her um, personally is what got me really excited about play. And essentially this, the simplest way to think about right and left hemisphere is basically the left hemisphere of the brain is the logic, it's memorization, it's the self-doubt. And then there's the right hemisphere, which is the creativity, the love, the spirituality, it's fun and, and play. And it's the reason why we say to meditate um, because meditation is utilizing the right hemisphere of the brain, which is really a good exercise for the right hemisphere of the brain. However, for people who are thinking nonstop, who have a lot on their plates, meditation can feel sometimes hard to resonate with. At least for me, that's how it was. So play was much easier for me to connect with the right hemisphere because I wasn't just having to sit in silence. I do like to meditate now, but I think as a first step into getting to reintegrate the right hemisphere of the brain, play was a little bit more easier for me to do. So beyond just the fact that it's good exercise for the right hemisphere of the brain, play is homeostatic. And what that means is that it's a biological necessity for humans. Like 
sleeping, eating, all of these things are, okay? So when we don't play enough, then we get depressed and overwhelmed and burnt out and all of these things. And unfortunately, what happens, what has happened is you become an adult and then you become an adult doctor and play seems futile or we don't have time to play because we need to be working or being productive or sleeping or spending time with our families. There's all these other things that we, our brains think is more important than play. And what I want to emphasize for you here is that play is actually required for life (laughs) and for joy. And it's going to increase the endogenous opioids in your brain while you're doing it and also afterwards. And it's also going to improve the function of the prefrontal cortex. So what that means is that when you engage in regular play a couple of times a week, then you're actually getting smarter, more innovative, more creative. You get better at your job because the prefrontal cortex works better. And it's actually also the most effective way to trigger neuroplasticity. So my favorite um, recommendation for play is if you don't even know how to play or start how to play is just to have a car dance party on your commute to work. Just like blast the music, put on your favorite song from your teenage years and dance. And what that does, it gets you back into your body, out of your head, releases those endorphins and gets you into more right hemisphere of the brain. Okay. Internal is validation is better than external validation. And this is something that we talk a lot about in this group and it's because it's such an important topic and it's not, there's something wrong with us that we want to be validated and external validation feels good. That's not a problem. It's just that unfortunately through our training, because we've required external validation to become doctors basically through medical school and residency, we now rely on it for everything. And we don't think that our own validation of ourselves is useful. When in reality, validation, whether it's internal or external, both increase dopamine and serotonin. Okay. So the neurotransmitter release in the brain is exactly the same. The only difference is that internal validation is not as familiar. So it feels awkward at first. And what happens is that we try to do affirmations or self-talk or whatever. And the first few times it feels weird. And we think it feels weird because it's a lie or because it's not it's not as good. But in reality, it only feels weird because we're not used to doing it as much as we're used to that external validation. So the problem with external validation is that it requires other people. <laughs> it requires other people to give it to you. Not You can't just get it whenever you want. It's also not predictable or regular enough. So what that essentially leads to is addiction. Um, And we are are addicted to it because we don't know when we're going to get it again. And we feel like we need it to have this hit of dopamine and serotonin. So this leads to perfectionism, people-pleasing, lack of boundaries, because we change our behavior in order to get more validation. And if I asked you to list like all the validation you got in the last 10 years of your life, it would take you a long time to do (laughs) because first of all, you wouldn't remember it. And then after you started remembering it, it would come flooding in. 
But if I asked you if the validation you have had in the past is, then no one would ever say yes to that. We, our brains will always want more. And if you ask the other question of your brain, which is very interesting, when will it be enough? Like how much external validation do I actually need to get in order to feel confident or like I'm good enough or whatever? The answer to that is actually there's it's infinite. There's never there will never be enough validation that your brain will be satisfied with. And I think that that is a clue to how tricky external validation is to be addicted to because your brain thinks like at first you're like, oh, I just, if I just had this person validate me, or if I just had this much validation, but in reality, that's not the case. You would have already been validated enough. And I know that just because of the position that you're in as a physician. Okay. Now that we contrast that to internal validation, which is essentially positive self-talk. You did a good job today. You did, you were very present today, whatever that positive self-talk is, the same hormones get activated. And in fact, there have been a lot of studies about the benefits of internal validation. One of my favorite ones was among like amateur athletes where they split them up into two groups and they had one group, they had both groups do a jump, like a vertical jump in the air and they measured how high they jumped. And then they had the control group do nothing except for weight. <laughs> and then they had the test group, which they gave themselves positive affirmations for a few minutes and then jump again. Both groups jumped again. And the group who gave themselves the internal validation jumped higher the second time. So that's just a really small example to the power that can physically, it can change your physical performance to validate yourself. And it's because the dopamine was the same. Okay. So I think that that's a really good, it's immediate and it causes you to have physical alteration in how you show up in the world. So for internal validation, we talk about this a lot. This is probably an easy one for you guys to implement, but just pick something positive and uplifting that you can tell yourself as you leave work every day. One thing that I tell myself is that I did the best job I could. I did the best I could today. And that leaves a lot of open to interpretation because sometimes my best looks really good. And sometimes my best was just getting by. And what that does, it allows me to just have the human experience, basically. So that's all I have for you. I'm really glad I stayed on time, which felt like rushing, but I wanted to um, leave a little bit of time if that was necessary or also... Um, I don't like to totally take up all of your evenings, but essentially when it comes to authentic leadership, the main thing, I think the biggest takeaway I want you to think about is integrity with self. I think that among the five things, integrity with self is probably the biggest barrier and the four underneath it, the breathing, the play, internal validation and confirmation bias. These are things that are going to make you a better leader at overall but the integrity is really something that I think we don't we don't consider a lot because we are so used to trying to prove ourselves or we don't quite think of it this way. So I think really considering what your core values are and if the core values align with how you spend your time and also 
if you are already in a leadership role, which I think most of you are, to be honest with you, in some capacity, then what is the what are the most uncomfortable things for you when it comes to leadership? And I suspect that these things are uncomfortable because they butt up against having integrity with yourself. And if you can recognize that, it could really be life-changing for you.